The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by a guest speaker. The statements, views, and opinions presented in this message are those of the speaker and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online at wscal.edu or call 888-480-8474. That's online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Thanks. Good morning, if you will. Um, turn with me to Matthew 28. Yes, I I helped start a missions organization, and so I know you're not surprised that I'm turning you to the Great Commission. It seems to be the gimme, but I want to press in a bit here. Matthew 28, I'm going to start reading in verse 16. Um, We'll just read 16 through 20, and then we'll begin. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Let me give a word of thanks. Father, we are thankful this morning that we have the privilege to gather, to hear from your Son in his word by the Spirit. We are thankful for the privilege of knowing Christ being saved in him and for the privilege of uh, being involved in gospel ministry and in training to be in gospel ministry. We pray um, this morning as we consider your word that you would work by your spirit to illumine our minds so that we'd hear what the spirit is saying to the church. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I think uh, Dr. Clark mentioned or Scott mentioned that um, West Cal is graciously hosting a lunch for Radius International today. Um, so um, I'll be present there. Brooks Buser, the president of Radius International, will be present there. We would um, love to spend time talking with you more about, about Radius and about missions, both from, hey, I'm going to be a pastor, or I'm a pastor, I'd like to know more about how I um, help my church engage in this, um, to maybe I would like to go do this. Um, Brooks uh, spent over a decade planting a church in an unreached language group, um, translating the scriptures, uh, leading them to Christ, etc. So he's a great resource there as well. And I'm happy to stick around after that to speak with any of you further. Uh, but this morning I thought I might start off just um, really looking quickly at two points. First, uh, recovering the reform means in missions, and second, uh, recovering our reformed commitment in missions. And if, you, if you're not picking up what I'm doing with those titles, then you haven't um, yet been ticked off by our Scott Clark's work. Um, but I, I met Scott Clark, I'm giving a bit of a nod to his book, Recovering the Reformed Confession. I met him, I was formerly a pastor at a even dispensational evangelical megachurch, and then um, I left to plant 
because um, I'd become Calvinistic, I'd left to plant a, an Acts 29 church. And while doing that, thinking I was reformed, I somehow ran into Scott Clark's blog and got really ticked off. And then I thought, this guy has a book on this, um, so I'm going to read the book, and I got even more ticked off. But in the midst of that, I, I reached out to him with a comment, and he said, let's talk on the phone, so we did. And um, his work par partially ticked me off because I thought, He's, this guy's saying I'm not reformed. Um, I'm not sure he thinks that I know how to read a book. Um, I don't know if he, if he thinks I'm some kind of radical Anabaptist right out of Munster. I'm not sure, but I think he might. Um, and so I was sort of challenged with that. Uh, but actually, um, this may, may surprise you. I'm giving a nod there because his work came to um, sort of give some language to and shape to what I'm trying to say missiologically for some time. I was already involved in, in planting a church and several hundred people had been saved and in helping start a missions organization in which we're training people to go to unreached language groups. Um, but I didn't have language to talk about how we were doing that and why we were doing it the way in which we were doing it. And Scott's book was quite helpful in that regard. So I'm going to give a nod there and say those are my two points. Recovering the reform means and recovering our reform con uh, commitment. So let's look first at recovering the reform means. Um, upon his resurrection, Jesus commanded the eleven to meet him on a mountain in Galilee. And um, they worshipped him there, and from there he delivered what we, we refer to as the Great Commission. And I want to look just at the last part of that. Um, really, most expressly, I want to look at the command in verse 19. Um, I don't have time to walk through the entire Great Commission, that whole passage and all its implications, but I want to look at the commands expressly in verse 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and then into the first part of verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. The primary imperative here, as you know, is to make disciples, to make disciples, and Jesus provides the apostles with the means for fulfilling that command. There are two participles of means that follow that. Here's how you do it. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. Now, in a parallel passage in Luke, we hear this. Jesus said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. These, what I'm going to call, are ordinary means of grace that are the means of making disciples. We are to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, baptize new converts, gather them into the visible body of Christ, and build them up in faith and obedience in Christ's word. That's precisely how the apostles understood the Great Commission. So we, we, hear, we see them hearing the Great Commission, and then we see them obeying it in the book of Acts. And how do they hear it? Well, we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, the facts, the history, what he did, who he was, and the doctrine for you and your salvation or for the forgiveness of your sins. We proclaim those things. 
people believe, we baptize them, and then what do we do? We teach them the apostles' doctrine. We gather for prayer. We administer the sacraments. These are the things we do. These are ordinary means. That's what the apostles do all through the book of Acts. That's precisely how they understood the Great Commission. The Great Commission is not a command to some extraordinary means. It's not a command to gather sociologists and cultural anthropologists to help you derive some new measures, some constituted means. It's not what it is. Rather, it is the ordinary, long-term, hard work of preaching, teaching, administering sacraments, praying, trusting the Holy Spirit to gather those whom God is pleased to save. It's accompanied by suffering, opposition, persecution, and God's blessing as you see folks saved, gathered into churches, caring for one another, and sending out more workers to the harvest field. There's really nothing mysterious here as to what we're to be doing. There is no searching for a fresh wind of the Holy Spirit. There is no need to look for techniques not mentioned in Scripture. When you gather um, those cross-culturally, when you go cross-culturally to another geopolitical, cultural, linguistic um, location, God has not changed. Man and sin have not changed. The law and the gospel have not changed. The means that God has given us to make Christ known has not changed. The way in which the Holy Spirit works to save people and sanctify people has not changed. None of that's changed. Yes, the language has changed. The cultural situation has changed. The economic environment, the political environment, the um, topography, oh, maybe all that's changed. The weather may have changed, especially if you're from Escondido. You have perfect weather all year long, but now you go places that might not have that kind of weather. That may have changed, but human beings are the same, God is the same, the gospel's the same, the way the Holy Spirit works is the same. It's the same. It's still ordinary. And it's powerful because it's ordained by Christ. And it's used by the Holy Spirit. We should not forget that Christ is the one with all authority in heaven and earth, that he's presently seated on his throne in heaven, and he is with us. So I suppose what I'm trying to drive at is we need to recover our reform means. And when I say reform means, I mean the means that Christ, by the Spirit, gave us in Scripture. They're just right there. Second, I want to talk about recovering our Reformed commitment. Recovering our Reformed commitment. Look, look at how Matthew 28, 19 begins. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Now, I want to ask a question about this word go. I've heard a lot of pastors say, well, go is a participle as well. And so, you know, you can translate it while going or as you go or having gone, etc., and it oddly seems to turn the Great Commission into something like the great anticlimax. What, what do I mean by that? Jesus goes, ascends the mountain, the apostles meet him there, 
They worship him. He declares that he is the Danielic son of man, that he has received all authority in heaven and earth. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So while you're going, could you make some disciples? That's how it seems to come across. While you're out and about, make some disciples. I want to argue that this is actually a, a participle of attendant circumstance. And for those of you who have done much Greek, what I mean by that is that the participle is attending the circumstance of the main verb to make disciples, which is in the imperative, and therefore it's taking on the mood of the imperative. We need to not treat this command as if um, while you're out and about, maybe you could get to that. And I don't think, I want to be fair, I don't think most pastors I hear say that when they reference the participle actually mean, uh, you don't really need to get to it. However, with that said, I think most of us in our ministries um, tend to operate like that's the case tend to operate like this case. There's, there's a loss of a sense of urgency. Not hastiness. Now, listen, when I was an evangelical, I confused hastiness with urgency. We need to be urgent, so let's be hasty. It doesn't matter if we're trained and we have the godly character and we have what it takes to get it done. Hastiness was confused with urgency. I, my guess is, where I'm standing now, most of you um, probably don't struggle with that problem. I mean, you're in a seminary. Right? You're slowing down to learn. But we don't want to lose our sense of urgency. An urgency particularly when it comes to laying new foundations. Laying new foundations. Making Christ known where he is not known. Naming him where he has never been named. And you might object, well, the command was given to the 11. And we can see that clearly, uh, verse 16, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee. This command was given to them, so it was given to the apostles. Yet at the end of verse 20, we hear, and behold, I am with you, even to the end of the age, which seems to indicate to us that this commission is reaching beyond the lives of the 11, that it's in some way being pressed down or passed down to the church after them. We continue their work both building the house on the foundation they've laid, Ephesians 2.20, and announcing the gospel where it has never been heard before. But where are we to go? In other words, what's the scope of the command? Notice there, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. We're to make Christ known among every tribe and tongue and nation. He's to be made known here, and he's to be made known where he is not known. And now, I want to press on that a bit. Look at how Paul sees that. Turn over to Romans 15. Romans 15, um, this glorious book that lays out the gospel with so much clarity, book of Romans, um, isn't often seen for one of its other functions, which is a missionary support letter. Um, one of the reasons Paul sends it out is to raise support as a missionary, to go to Spain. But notice what he says um, in verse 19 first about his ministry, where he's been, why he hasn't come to Rome. Um, what he says, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem, he's, he's been speaking about Christ from Jerusalem, 
all the way around to Illyricum, I fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. So he has been preaching in this circuit from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, which is a fairly large geographic area uh, with uh, lots and lots and lots of people. He's been preaching the gospel in this whole area. Look at verse 23 now. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, that, I, I just want to pause there for a minute. He's been preaching the gospel from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, and then he comes in and says, I don't have any more room for work in these regions. Friends, that, that area would have been less evangelized than California is. So now imagine if I stood up, they would have less access to the gospel than California does. Now imagine if I stood up in a pulpit as a pastor in California and said, there's no more room for gospel work for me in California. People would think I'd lost my mind. Right? As a pastor who's called to pastor a local church in California, there's lots of room for work for me. What Paul's not saying is that uh, Chris Gordon at Escondido URC, what are you doing? There's already lots of Christians there. The Bible's already in English. You ought to pack it up and go somewhere where nobody's heard of it. He's not saying that. Chris Gordon ought to pastor his church faithfully in Escondido where the, to where the Lord has called him. However, what Paul's saying is, is some of us, Paul namely, has been sent to make Christ known where he's never been known. Look at verse 20. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written... Those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Paul has been called to lay a new foundation. He is to name Christ where Christ has not been named. My ministry is in Bakersfield. I'm building on the foundation another man has laid. Now, I planted a church there, but I didn't come at it with people who didn't know Christ. I actually had a group of people who knew Christ who were from the town. We had the gospel in our language. We had the Bible in our language. We had other Christian churches there. I'm building on another man's foundation. Paul's ministry was to lay a new foundation. And the point I want you to hear is that the apostles understood that the scope of the command was to make disciples among every people, tribe, and nation. Language. We're commanded to make Christ known in all peoples. And that includes making him known where he is not known. Now, um, the Reformed Church before me has taught this. That's why I said I want to talk about re recovering the Reformed commitment to missions. In fact, I submit to you that the Reformed were leading the way in this. And I'm hoping to encourage us to recover our Reformed commitment to this task. I know Reformed churches often get a bum rap about um, not caring about missions and evangelism. And I, I, listen, I don't go to all of your churches. I can't possibly know what's happening in all the Reformed churches. People often ask me uh, when I speak, I spoke at Banner of Truth a couple years ago, and the question came to me, uh, what, what is the greatest problem in the American church today? And I said, I don't even know what the greatest problem in the, in the Bakersfield church is, because I haven't gone to any of them. It's, hard, it's pretty presumptuous for me to know the answer to that question. I know what my church needs, and I'm not quite sure what the greatest need of my own people is, other than to say Christ. They need to know Christ and his word. So I don't know what's going on in all the Reformed churches. While I possibly can't know that, I suspect that we are not as zealous as we once were in making Christ known where he is not. I suspect that. Listen, brothers, by God's grace, we have the most glorious 
explication of the gospel I know. I mean, if you've been, by God's grace, brought to understand um, what Calvin, what the reformers that followed him brought to the table, to the table as far as the gospel, that glorious exp- explication of the gospel, if you've been brought to understand that, how can you not want to shout it from the rooftops? Why would you ever want to put that under a bowl? And our reform forebears didn't. They, they wanted to lay down their lives, suffer any and all dignities, indignities, sorry, to make it known. Your reform forebears did this. Listen to Martin Bootser, a pastor from whom Calvin learned in concerning the true care of the souls, and he's speaking about or writing about seeking the lost in every nation. God desires that they should be sought wherever they are scattered and sought with such seriousness and diligence that one should be ready to be all things to all man, all men, as dear Paul was, and even to hazard one's own life as the Lord himself did so that the lost lambs might be found in one. This is also in our confessional tradition. You know, the Scots Confession begins by quoting Matthew 24, 14. Did you know that? And these glad tidings of the kingdom shall be preached throughout the whole world for a witness unto all nations, and then the end shall come. The Westminster Confession of Faith, the Savoy Declaration, the Second London Baptist Confession of Faith, in chapter 1, paragraph 8, confessionally hold to the fact that the scriptures need to be translated into every vulgar language. How about the canons of Dort, though? I mean, the canons of Dort, when I was a young A29 guy, the canons of Dort were like the signal document for the frozen chosen, right? I mean, this is where we get the five points of Calvin from. What hath Dort to do with missions? Well, listen to the second head of the canons of Dort, Article 5. Moreover, the promise of the gospel is that whosoever believeth in Christ crucified shall not perish but have everlasting life. This promise, together with the command to repent and believe, ought to be declared and published to all nations and to all persons promiscuously and without distinction to whom God out of his good pleasure sends the gospel. You may not be aware of this, but from 1622 to 1633, there was a seminary in Leiden for the training of missionaries to go to language groups with no gospel access under the direction of Antonius, and I don't know how to say his name, Scott will correct me later, Willaeus. Close enough. Further, Justice, I don't, I don't know how to say his last name either, Horinius, and Phocius, which I'm almost convinced I'm saying inc- incorrectly, V-O-E-T-I-U-S, They both wrote missiological texts. Did you guys know that? Uh, Missiologies that you might not know this. What you generally hear in the story is that William Carey is the the, the Baptist, reformed Baptist-y guy. Um, He's the father of modern missions. William Carey was, was reading these Dutch reformed guys' missiological books and leaning on them in his work. No doubt you've heard of John Payton, William Chalmers, Burns, the St. Andrews Seven. I wonder if you know that Princeton Seminary in the 1820s, um, 30% of their graduates went out to do this kind of missions work. 30%. We have a glorious heritage of this, and brothers there are, and sisters, there are over 3,000 language groups that presently have zero gospel witness. No Bible, no church, no missionary, nothing. Nothing. 
these people will perish and go to hell for their sins. And Christ has given us the commission to make him known among them so they might be saved. I'm happy to discuss this more with you as far as what it looks like, but I just pray the Lord would be pleased to ignite our hearts and minds to a recovery of a reformed heritage in obedience to the Great Commission. I can tell you what it looks like. It might shock you. It looks shockingly ordinary. Let me pray. Father, we're thankful for your son and his kindness in saving us. We're thankful that gospel ministers proclaim the gospel to us so that we're saved, so that we know him. We pray that we would be faithful to proclaim it to others, that we would trust your spirit to work through the means that he's given to the church, and that we would not take for granted the need to make Christ known not only to our neighbors and family members and co-workers and friends, but to the ends of the earth, to those who've never heard. We pray we'd be faithful to this end. In Jesus' name, amen. Copyright 2022, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.